everyone. I'm Ash France, a somatic practitioner who works with queer women who are coming out later in life. And I'm Donna Noble. I'm an LGBTQ plus relationship expert trained in a psychobiological approach to couples therapy by Dr. Stan Tacken. We're a queer couple who fell in love after our worlds collided when we discovered that our now ex-wives were actually engaged in an affair together states apart. And we're here on a mission to normalize, educate, and bring clarity around the complexities that can come along with queer relationships. So grab your cup of coffee, pour your favorite cup of tea or glass of fine whiskey, and join us as we come together for Queer Couples Conversations. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Queer Couples Conversations. Today, we have Nan with us. If you have seen Mormon No More, you'll recognize her as Sally's mom. So we're so excited to have Nan here. Nan was born and raised in Utah with a long line of Mormon pioneer ancestry. At age 19, Nan became a registered nurse and married her husband, Rod. She's, he soon joined the FBI and they took off, leaving Utah in the rearview mirror. Two sons and a daughter came right away, but Sally was a handful and it took Nan 10 years to catch her breath. Then came two more sons who Sally enthusiastically helped raise. The FBI kept the family on the move, living in 10 different states and three times overseas. Wow. Beijing, China will forever be Nan's favorite where she worked as a nurse in a medical orphanage and ran the Great Wall Marathon four years in a row. Wow. Now retired, Rod and Nan have recently moved back to Utah after 40 years away. In addition to her 13 grandkids, biking, hiking, and running are what make her smile. Pleased with the positive feedback from the docu-series Mormon No More, she is happy to share her story. Welcome, Nan. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Oh my gosh. Uh, Nan, you uh, you and I have had a a handful of conversations now and you've been holding back. (laughs) You didn't know all of that about me? No, I didn't. I knew two of those things about you, maybe. Yeah, it's been an adventure. Wow. The Great Wall is where I'm kind of stuck. Yeah. (laughs) Four years in a row. That's amazing. Uh, thousands of steps and no two steps are the same size at the same depth and and it's yeah it was wild but such a a fun thing to have done did Uh, your times improve each year were you watching your times? not at all (laughs) it's it's rated as either the hardest or i think now the second hardest marathon in the country and no one professional comes to run it because there's too much chance of injury Wow. So most of the runners are there because they want to have that's on their bucket list. Um, My average marathon time, I'm not very fast. My average marathon time at a regular marathon might be four hours or four 15, but on that one, it was like six hours. Oh my goodness. Some years, you know, it was 20 degrees hotter. And so my time was way slower or they, it was a new race at the time and they'd run out of water. And so 
it, there were lots of things to enjoy. My gosh, but, run out of water. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but overall, it was really fun. Uh, wow. Wow, Nan. Wow. Well, um, you and I actually it, both, we all met mm-hmm. at your daughter's wedding. Um, Sal and Lena's wedding that, um, we had actually heard you, Ash and I both heard you on a, on a podcast that your, your daughter and her wife now run called, um, um, peace out, peace podcast. out podcast. Yeah. And both of us were so impacted by how you showed up your story, your relationship with Sal and the Mormon church that, um, we instantly sent it to our own moms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. It, yeah. It felt, I mean, it was just another layer of healing to listen to that conversation. Um, I think just as a queer individual for the larger community, um, mm-hmm. but also, yeah, it, it allowed for conversation between Dawn and her mom and me and my mom. And it's just, it's been really beautiful. So that makes me happy. We wanted to have you on here. Cause we were like, this is this is impactful. Oh, yeah. It, it's so powerful when someone puts words to your experience, Yes, to, to, to the emotion that you don't know how to really communicate through it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And my mom had COVID at the time and <clears throat> she was um, taking notes while she was listening to you and she just really resonated with you. And, and from that interaction, it created a new conversation with my mom mm-hmm. around this topic that is so powerful and needed. And, mm-hmm. you know, you and I have talked recently, Nan, that, you know, I feel like you're representing our moms, mm-hmm. our moms, you know, and how we as gay kids want to be loved and advocated for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Um, I don't think I'm anything special. It just happened to be that I ended up on this docu-series and uh, am visible. But I'm sure there are plenty of moms um, doing a great job. So I don't want to, like today on the podcast, I don't want to answer questions as though I'm the authority on Mm. how everybody should do it or that I have some kind of degree or education in how this should be done. I'm just a regular mom Mm -hmm. who was surprised when her daughter said she was gay. And we've had three years to work on that. So Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think the the experience that you had over years, to me, it's a bigger qualification than a degree. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So was that your first um, queer wedding that you went to? Oh, for sure. <laughs> sure. You know, I was thinking about it at the wedding and I think I've only ever been to one other non-Mormon wedding because all my friends are Mormon. Mm. That's where all the kids get married. And uh, so it was only my second non-Mormon wedding, but for sure my first queer wedding. Wow. And it was awesome. I have to say <laughs> That's a good, that was a good one to go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It was a good one to go to just for listeners. Can you, as much as you're comfortable sharing, kind of give a brief outline of what a temple ceremony would look like versus, you know, um, outside of the temple. Yeah. Um, a temple ceremony, first of all, you need to be deemed worthy to enter the temple 
by your local ecclesiastical leaders. So they, a couple of men will interview you, ask you specific questions, and if you can answer correctly to all those questions, then you are allowed to go in the temple. The questions say, do you believe that the Mormon church is the only true church on the earth? Do you believe that the prophet speaks for God? Things like that. So if you can say yes to all of those, then you're allowed to go in. Um, a temple ceremony is not what I would call a celebration. It's more like a sacred um, experience. Um, you do not wear your wedding dress. You wear uh, white clothing specific to the temple. Um, you usually invite a handful of people. There's not a big crowd. Um, I, I probably had 25 people there when I got married. It's not very long. It's only maybe 20 minutes long. It's usually done by someone you don't know. Somebody who's been, um, is an official at that particular temple and he mm -hmm. just marries people all day long. So he has his own words that he can say about uh, giving advice or, you know, how to, how to take in all the sacredness of this event. Um, but he's the only one who speaks. And then he just asks you, do you... Uh, take this person to get married to and you answer yes and your husband answers yes and he says you're hereby married and then everybody just gets up and leaves the room and they might give the bride a hug as they walk out of the room and then go outside and usually once you get outside then you have pictures and stuff but only people who have passed those interviews can come in the temple to watch you get married so not only do you have to have that permission to get married, you have to have permission to go in and watch a marriage. So mm -hmm. for instance, no kids can come in. Um, no one who's not a member of our church. So I, when I married Rod, he was the only member of the church of his family. So his parents, oh. siblings, no one could come inside. And they didn't know much about the church. They weren't from Utah. And that was hard, especially for his mom. And, and um, so it's a very uh, kind of short, minimalistic experience mm -hmm. where you go in, you put on your white clothes, the guy comes in, he says his stuff. Um, even for me, who was very much a true believing, rule following, happy to be their young bride, um, I still felt like, huh, okay, that's over, let's go. Hmm. Wow. And, then, and then we walked outside, took a bunch of pictures, went over to the church and everybody came over for apple pie and ice cream. And I said hello to um, so many people that I didn't even know because of course we had to invite all my parents' friends and all of their friends, friends and relatives yeah. I hadn't seen and even remembered. And yeah. it was extremely not personal, I have to say. Mm. So Rod and I would stand next to each other and whisper like, holy cow, do you even know any of these people? <laughs> and, and I'd say, I don't know any of these. And, and 
uh, we were just waiting for people to get done saying hi to us. And, um, you know, after three hours wow. or whatever, we took off. Wow. So compared to Sally's wedding, it was night and day. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. Nan, you, so you were raised in the Mormon church, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. And I'm curious. So the officiant is the officiant always a man. Always, always man. Priesthood always holder. priesthood holder. Yeah. Interesting. So okay. I was raised in the church. Um, my family is still a good half of them are still actively practicing. Um, Ash was raised, um, yeah. Methodist Methodist. So I, I don't have a Mormon background, but I'm, I'm marrying into the, the ex Mormon background. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> yeah. I, I know that experience. I was one of the ones that were left out because I left the church at 17. And so I haven't been, I've only been, been able to attend one sibling's wedding that did it. They did a ceremony outside of the temple um, for everyone that, you know, that couldn't attend. Mm -hmm. So it's so painful. Like my sister who I'm like, I love so much. My oldest sister asked me to be her maid of honor, you know, to just acknowledge our relationship, but I couldn't attend the ceremony, you know? So that was unfortunate, but what was it like for you to the, I mean, there's drastic, drastic differences with like, did you attend Sal Sally's wedding in the temple? Oh, yes, yes. Um, Hers was almost identical to mine and almost identical to every other temple wedding ever. There's not an opportunity to make it your own in the temple. Mm. Once you leave and you go have a party or dinner or whatever you do, of course, you do whatever you want. But the temple part of it is just identical you might get an older man who likes to ramble on and give you lots of advice <laughs> an hour or you might get uh. one who has like I was married in the Salt Lake Temple mm. um on March 20th in 1981 I got married at 10 in the morning and I was bride number 221 wow at 10 in the morning so that's how many rooms they have set aside for weddings. And that's wow. how many officiants they have ready. And you just go, it's a, it's a conveyor belt. Wow. So, I had no idea. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, it was spring break. Everyone was out of college for a few days. They're going to go get married during spring break. And it was just busy. So you think about that. Then we came outside and there's a place at the Salt Lake Temple that's especially beautiful with some wooden doors and everyone likes a picture there in front of those doors. Mm. We waited in line well over an hour just to get to go stand in front of those doors because so many bridal parties were coming out of the door, you know, that fast. Wow. So, yeah, it was a, a different story. And then, you know, Sally's was very similar. It was... Everybody go in, 20 minute talk from somebody we don't know, uh, come on out. It was snowing when Sally got married. So we took a few pictures, but everybody was freezing. And uh, then we left mm. and Gosh, then we that, go off to the party. So, that feels so contrary to what a wedding should be, right? It, it, that feels so disconnected. Yes. And like you said, like this conveyor belt, I mean, uh, that- but you know what? I didn't know any different. Yeah. I mean, you were raised in it. Totally. Yeah. 
And I had stood outside when my aunts and uncles or older cousins got married. And I knew that's what it was going to be. I didn't think it was strange. Um, And when my kids, my four kids got married in the temple and theirs were all the same. And I just went along on that little conveyor belt, like good little Mormon girl. Wow. Wow. (laughs) I, I, I mean, our, our listeners are um, LGBTQ plus um, individuals, couples, and I am curious if like, I'm interested in your process on how you went from being this, you know, rule follower, faithful LDS mom Mm. to an advocate to, you know, your queer child. Yeah. Um, and what would you, where do you even start with that? What would you say? Like one thing that I think I'm curious, like, so this was three years ago when Sally came out. Is that right? Yes. And, and did she leave the Mormon church before that? Yes. Okay. She had left two years before she and her husband, Shane. Okay. Um, and I think leaving the church and leaving those constraints and that the church really gives you a framework for every single minute of your life, basically mm. every day, um, what you're supposed to do at all times. Like, like so, a recipe you mentioned. Yes, that. Yeah. Yeah, yes, exactly. So when she left that, she was, it took her a little while, but she could literally think outside the box for the first time of her life. Mm-hmm. And she was able to open herself up to possibilities that had never been there for her before. Mm-hmm. And had she not left the church before beforehand, I don't think she ever would have realized that she's mm-hmm. getting. I think she would have stayed married and lived her whole life uh, with shame. So leaving the church was the first step to realizing that she's gay. That there are other things out here. Uh Yeah. Yeah. I, I, sorry, can I real quick? Go for it. I think I want to, I want you, if you can, to define, there's a difference between, you know, loving someone and accepting or, or affirming someone. And, you know, I was married before to a woman um, and a number of my family members decided they couldn't come because they thought that was loving. Um, And they were doing their best to, to love me. And by not supporting me, that was love for them. Um, um, Which in my experience was just painful and, and a loss to not have my family around me. Um, What would you, say like through your experience could you i like um identify that like i thought i was loving them but really i had to find the difference between the two mhm mhm um i think for for instance for your parents when you have teenagers that are prone to mischief and you give them you know, you say you're grounded or not you're grounded, but I'm going to give you a curfew and you have to be home by 11 o'clock every night, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And your teenager says, no way. That's so mean. And my friends, moms are nice and they let them stay out longer. And you say, I'm doing this because I love you because I know what can happen after 11 o'clock at night. And 
I, I want you home where you're safe. I'm doing this for your well-being. Mm. And when you describe that your parents thought they were loving you by not coming to your wedding, it feels similar to that analogy where they're saying, we're doing this for your own good so that you can see this isn't the right path for you, honey. Donna, you're just... Hmm. We've just been misled. And if we come, we're telling you that this is an okay path for you to continue on. And really in their hearts, they're just like, it's not an okay path. So please believe us when we tell you, we're just trying to show you, come back to safety, come back to the church where there's, Hmm. um, where you know what where you belong, where we know where you belong. Mm. So I think I can see parents feeling that way. That's not shocking to me to hear that your parents felt that was the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like that metaphor of like, you know, your child, it's 11 o'clock. You need to come home before 11 o'clock. I'm loving you. This is how I show you that I love you. I'm caring for you. But so your child stays out past 11 o'clock, right? Despite you saying, I don't want you to do this. This isn't the way I want you to live your life, right? Your child stays out past 11 o'clock and they're in a lot of pain wherever they are after 11 o'clock. And they're saying, please come meet me, come help me, be with me, love me anyway. And so that feels like a parent saying, you know, turn back the time, right? We can't turn back the time right? It's already past 11 o'clock. We're already here. Yes. Love me anyway. Yes. Right? If love is the point, if love is the purpose, do it anyway. Wow. I think you are 100% right, mm-hmm. but I do not think that is the overall message that mm-hmm. parents get yeah. in the LDS church. I, I would agree with you. <laughs> yeah. We, we have a concept of eternal families and that families can be together forever as a family in heaven. If we all abide by the church's standards mm. and there's a lot of them and they're strict, there's no wavering. Mm-hmm. So when eternal families is the goal, then Every decision is based on how do we make sure we keep an eternal family where Mm. everyone is on the same path, Mm -hmm. going together, hand in hand to heaven. Mm -hmm. So coming to get you after 11 o'clock does not jive with that. It doesn't follow the recipe. It does not. You, you are um, letting go of your grip on your child. And as a mom, I had such a tight grip on my kids. It was my job to teach them. And even as adults, it was my job to continue to be a type of teacher that if I saw them um, taking a step off the path for me to say, oh, warning, warning, you're getting off. Um, Come back, come back. So yeah, how I feel today is a lot different than how I felt even five years ago when 
my first child decided to step away from the church. So yeah. if you'd have interviewed me then, I would have been <laughs> telling you a totally different thing. I would yeah. have been friends with Donna's mom and a lot of yeah. <laughs> What that to me seems like um, so fear-based, you know, if you can, if you can create a system and a story around, you know, we can give you eternity with the people you love the most. If you follow this outline, mm-hmm. right. Of course, that's going to be the response because, you know, I've never been a parent, but I, I imagine I'd love my child wildly to try to keep them with me. Yes. You know, especially, yes. I mean, from watching my siblings that are still practicing, they're not living for right now. They're living for the afterlife. So everything they're denying of themselves, basic pleasures to more complicated ones are like, it's worth it to them. Yes. Even if that means Mm -hmm. loss of relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, Loss of relationship is sad, Mm. but you are committed to following the recipe. Mm -hmm. And that is what matters. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, an example in our family, um, our oldest son, you know, I taught my kids so well. (laughs) I, from the time they were little, um, every dinner time, most dinner times, I would intentionally start a gospel discussion so that we could have Mm -hmm. more time discussing it. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a part of all the atmosphere in our home was thick Mm -hmm. with Mormonism. Mm -hmm. Um, Our oldest son uh, started getting into mischief at a young age. And by the time he was a teenager, he was making what we viewed as seriously wrong decisions. Um, what they really were, were uh, trying marijuana at the skate park, mm. um, skateboarding on the school grounds on a weekend, and the police came and told him to get off, and he ran away from the police. I mean, that was the extent. But to us, these were serious uh, steps off the path. And as I look at it now, and only in the last few years have I seen this, But he, in his own mind, became the black sheep of our family because he was preventing our eternal family from Mm -hmm. being together forever. So how sad is that as a 14, 15-year-old to believe that and feel that, that I am um, hurting all the people who love me and yet still being a normal 14 year old who wants to go off with his friends. Um, But he, I believe now he felt like he had broken our whole family Hmm. since that age. And he's 40 now and he's Mm -hmm. still deep down. I think he still feels that way. Mm. Oh, that just breaks my heart now. Uh, And yet at the time, Boy, I was all on board with that. Yes, you should feel bad, hon. Get your butt home from that skateboard park and yeah. get in line. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, 
someone once said, I think it was one of our church prophets' wives, there will be no empty seats in heaven in our family circle. Wow. And when she said that, it was, you know, probably 80 years ago. She, the idea that she was able to make sure there were no empty seats in her family circle was an additional thing that came with that statement. Mm -hmm. As though the mother could prevent any of her kids from not making it to heaven. Mm. And boy, I took that on. I took that phrase on in Sunday school classes. Some of the teachers would write that out on the chalkboard and then give a lesson about raising righteous kids. And I owned all of that. And wow. I wasn't going to let my son prevent us from being that. So instead of accepting him, uh, opening my eyes a little bit, boy, I just yanked him back to the center lane over and over and over again until he got married and moved away from home. Mm. And it took him maybe five years to say, I'm done with that straight path. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's so hard. Sorry, there, my throat is having, struggling this morning. That's <laughs> okay. so hard because as a child, it teaches you that relationship, that belonging is transactional. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and so you're taught to perform in this way that feels like so challenging to the, any individuality, but it's fall in line, right? If you want to belong, you have to behave and act like this, and then you can be, you know, welcomed in. It, it really feels so anti-relationship. Mm -hmm. I mean, with all the pieces that come into it, you know, it, it being transactional in and of itself, right? That yeah. it, it seems anti-relationship, anti-connection, anti-love, even though. Yeah, yeah, that's what they preach. Yeah. Oh, our church is the loving one because we believe families can be together forever. Yeah. So we, we advertise, we market ourselves as one thing. But then situations like that are in every family. Yeah. Well, so I cut you off. I'm no, very sorry. Not at all. No, no, no. <laughs> um, so, at, I mean, we watched this docu-series and I, I messaged you. I shot you a text and said, you are the, the star of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, like uh, the hero. Oh, felt like the hero in, in my yeah. perspective. And so yeah. amazing. And, um. I'm curious, like now, as you're, as you're sharing your story and like what you've come through over the last three five to five years, you know, um, I'm, I have two brothers that recently left the Mormon church and they were praised for being some of the best, um, missionaries in their field for bringing and baptizing multiple, um, individuals into the church. And now they wrestle with this internal conflict that they brought them in. And now that they've seen that they no longer mm -hmm. want to be a part of it. And I kind of am hearing this transfer in a parallel kind of way with you and like processing through that. Yeah. What's that like That's, for you? That is, um, so I have five kids and, um, the younger four have accepted my apologies. I have, uh, 
come a long way in the last five years, um, recognizing that the way I responded to them as a mother was, would not be how I would do it now mm. and was not really healthy and didn't result in everything that I was told it would result in. Mm. On the podcast I did with Sally, I mentioned that uh, I followed the recipe the church gave me to the T. And I worked so hard and gave my whole life to it and then put it in the oven. And when I pulled it back out of the oven an hour later, it wasn't at all what I'd been told it would be Mm. and how shocked I was just speechless when my first son called and very nicely and with love told us that he'd spent two years studying two years of angst and turmoil, but he decided to step away from the church. Mm. I was speechless. I, I had never even considered such a policy, Mm. a possibility. I, I, my first thought, well, this is ridiculous. This isn't, this can't be, you can't do that. That's not part of the plan. Come on, mm-hmm. come on. You know, you're what's really right. Get back in line, you know? And he was, I don't know, 30 years old, 32, maybe even. Wow. Um, but I still just felt like, oh, this is, we got to fix this. It was no the thought of, well, this is hard and I'm going to have to come to accept this didn't cross my mind. My husband and I, boy, when that phone call ended, we cried and cried and cried. And then we said, okay, let's get busy studying. We need to show him where he's gone off the path. We need to show him where he's been deceived a little. And he was 32 at the time, Nan. Yeah. And married a couple kids. And you were still like, okay, we got to error correct. We got to get him back. For sure. No empty seats in heaven. Yes. Wow. Yeah. What a burden wow. for the mother to carry. I mean, oh my gosh. Uh, like, yeah. Oh man. That's just, wow. I feel the weight of that in my body. Yeah. And it is the mother's burden most of the time because dad goes off to work and mom is the one home. Um, you know, teaching by example, by word, all the things. So I felt, I mean, of course, my husband was a great partner and he did all of his part, but he did not feel the weight like Mm -hmm. I did. Mm -hmm. And that weight, I mean, I felt it on me every day of my life. I can remember one time where we, every Monday night, we would gather everybody together and have what's called family home evening. Oh, yeah. Family fun party. (laughs) And I had the, pardon? Family fun. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So I had this great lesson prepared and um, it was like 20 minutes long and I had it all ready and I made props and puppets and all kinds of things. And I gave the lesson to the family and it did not go over like I wanted it to. And the kids were bored and this is baby stuff and yada, yada. And there was five kids plus me and Rod. So that night I literally cried and asked for forgiveness from God 
for wasting 20 minutes times seven, 140 minutes of earth life was wasted because I wasn't better prepared for that. That's how heavy it weighed on me at all times. Huh. So when I say that out loud to you guys right now, I haven't thought about that time for a while. It seems crazy, just crazy. Like, how did I carry that weight for so long? Mm. Um, but that's exactly what I did. Wow. Nan, I am just trying to even find the words to know how to respond here. I am. That's a lot to carry. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot to carry. So when I felt that um, ashamed of wasting that much time, then just think how it felt when one of my kids said, I'm leaving altogether. And um, yeah, it was, it was rough. I think what you're sharing in such a raw and vulnerable way is such a, you're, you're painting of such a helpful picture of, of what moms and dads of the LDS church and other communities mm-hmm. <clears throat> believe um, and why that fight to keep your child close, to keep them in the church, why that matters so much. Mm-hmm. And I think it's beautiful to be able to have that picture that understanding mm-hmm. because we need compassion and, and perspective for both sides, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, to understand. I agree. I agree, Donna, that is super important. And when we talk about the LGBTQ community, we talk about how we need everybody to be affirming. And if you're not, then you need to get on board. You need to get woke because uh, we all know this is the right thing to do. And if you're not on board, then you've got to change you and get with it. Um, We talk about setting boundaries. If our loved ones can't accept our new lifestyle, then we're going to set a boundary. Mm -hmm. And this is how it's going to be. But, you know, after hearing just, just myself, after hearing myself describe that last scene to you where I wasted the time, if you think about your parents and that is how they have felt their whole lives about you and your siblings, mm-hmm. to expect them to get on board is frankly, to expect them to get on board right away, I'll say, is frankly asking too much. Mm. It's just not in the realm of possibility. Um, I think uh, it certainly can become possible and it can become, I mean, Sally and I are living proof Mm -hmm. that I went from such a tight grip on every action that happened in my house and with my kids to where I am now and celebrating her and her new life is, and she and I are super close, um, is proof that it can happen. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, the media and all of us who are awake to the beauty of love is love, we expect a lot out of, um, 
I'll just speak to what I know, and that's LDS parents, mm-hmm. expect a lot out of them to just be like, oh, so this is what you're going to choose. Cool. Tell mm-hmm. me all about it. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't work. So, so Sally and I held space for each other. I, I realized this was all new to her when she realized that she's gay and when she was falling in love with Lena. I knew that was all new to her and that she might not approach me perfectly. That she, I knew right from the start, oh my gosh, she's going to expect this and she's going to expect, you know, is she thinking she's going to marry Lena like next week? I mean, they moved pretty fast in the beginning. Mm. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, Like maybe four weeks after Sally told us, came out, um, she asked me to come visit her in Southern California to help out. Her husband was ha- having a really hard time and they just were struggling. And she said, can you just come down and be here and just give me some strength? So I went down and first day she said, first, I want you to meet Lena. Well, I didn't know I was going to meet Lena on this visit. So, uh, we drive over to Lena's place and there she is sitting on the couch and, and I we give each other a little hug and Sally sits down next to her. And if they were cartoons, they would have had hearts spinning and <laughs> stars coming out of their eyes. That's yeah. easy to believe having been around them. <laughs> yeah. And I've never seen Sally like that ever, not with Shane, not with anything in her life. And then after about only 15, 20 minutes, Sally said, oh, I got to go pick up the kids from school. Um, I'll be back in a little while. So she left me there. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and oh, man. <laughs> after about 10 minutes, Lena said, why don't we go get lunch? Hmm. I'll pay. It's the least I can do for my future mother-in-law. <gasps> oh, my gosh. I'm sure I don't know what my response was. We went out to lunch, so I must have said, okay. But it was like, oh, just like, oh my black God. Out. Yeah. Lena is bold. Oh, I oh love her. Gosh. Yeah. I love her so much. So, so you know, I, I felt like so much was being asked of me mm. right away to just like jump on this train and go 90 miles an hour in this direction. And luckily for myself and for Sally, her brother had come out of the church two years before, then she had come out of the church almost at the same time. Then my oldest son left the church and I had had experiences with being shocked, Mm -hmm. with things not going the way I thought they were gonna go, Mm -hmm. with being worried about my kids and their future because they were choosing a different path than what I had wanted for them. Mm -hmm. So I had had a lot of experiences and it had been long enough that I had come to realize that I don't always know what's best for my kids. Mm. When the first son left, the church had taught me this pattern is the only way to happiness. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I taught my kids. And so when they chose a different path, I was so afraid for them and, and worried in for their life on earth, for their life after earth and everything else. Mm -hmm. But I had had a couple of years 
for them to prove me with their lives that that wasn't the case. That they still, they had a very good, happy, tight-knit family, happy life, productive citizens. They were living proof that there was more than one way to be happy. Mm. So Mm. by the time Sally came out, I had learned that lesson quite a bit, not all the way. Being gay was a whole new thing, but I had learned to let my tight grip loosen up and to say, I don't know everything. So I need to let my kids um, lead out at least and, and learn some from them. And I still wasn't ready to just say, oh, cool, you're gay, great. Say goodbye to Shane, say hello to Lena, let's go. But yeah. I had learned to not be panicked that this was the end of everything. Mm-hmm. So a mom whose child comes out to them, if it is her first experience with a child not following on the straight and narrow Mormon path, then I can imagine it would be even harder than when my kid first kid left the church because they got the leaving the church and the gay and all that fear. Yeah. Wow. Man. Yeah. You speak to that white knuckling like that you, that was happening for you all while you're raising kids and all the way up until your oldest son was in his thirties. And yes. And then this release that happened, right. You, you kind of release that grip and, uh, I, I just imagine what a relief that must feel like to get to release that grip instead of being in, I mean, when you think about that white knuckling, that gripping that keeps us in a state of hypervigilance, Right. Oh, yes. Always have to be on the lookout. So it keeps your body and your nervous system ramped up. Yes. And to get to release the grip, I mean, that's got to be just yeah. a relief. So, so now, sitting where I am now, it feels so much better. So mm-hmm. much. I'll, if the weight of all of that was 100 pounds, I've lost 90 of it. <laughs> I wow. still have a little in there that I, that I, that I'm still working on letting go. Yeah. Um, but during the process of letting go, it is not a relief at all. Yeah. It's nothing but fear. I, I felt like I was on the edge of a cliff mm-hmm. and my child was down and I caught him and I'm holding on as tight as I can, white knuckling. <gasps> I don't want my child to drop into the unknown I don't know what life is like outside the church. I don't know what it's like being gay and I'm holding on. And when I realize I have no choice, but to let go of my grip, that is not a relief. That's just pure fear. Terror. Yes. 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 So it, you let go. They don't crash and burn. They figure out life on their own path. And then you inch by inch start being able to feel the relief of, okay, I don't, I'm not responsible for holding on so tight forever. Mm. Then you start feeling the good, which I am living in bliss right now because <laughs> I have let that go almost a hundred percent. And I can just be happy with whatever the kids say. Our youngest son recently called, he's 23. And he said, Um, I've decided to quit college. 
Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? <laughs> this isn't even a moral decision. This isn't a church thing. This is just common sense. You don't quit college halfway through your junior year when you're when you're so smart. Mm-hmm. And uh, but my husband and I only tried in a calm, loving, not panicked, not fearful way mm-hmm. for a day, maybe two days to try and help him see that it might be wise to stay in college. And then we said, okay, we trust you mm-hmm. and you do what you need to do. Wow. What a different experience that was. <sighs> and it would have been if my first one had said that all that time ago. So we're getting better at it. Uh, we've, had, we've had a lot of practice. Now. <laughs> we are getting better at it. You know, Nan, Dawn and I have had this conversation with Dawn's mom. I've had it with my mom that, and Dawn and I are not parents yet. Um, cat and dog parents. Yes, but not actual humans, (laughs) but, um, that as a parent, what what's happening over the years is it's, it's a lesson of learning to let go. It's like, it's just this long line of learning how to release and let go that, let go of that grip. Yes. And for yes. some of us, it takes longer depending on our conditioning uh-huh. what we're raised in what we believe. Yes. But I mean, that's the, I feel like that is the burden and the lesson of a parent yes. is learning how yes. to really let go and love and allow your yeah. child to love back. I watch my kids, my three oldest kids all have kids of their own. And as I watch them parent, I see the varying degrees that they've been able to let go already. Mm. Um, my oldest son, who is the one who feels like he was most damaged by the church and mm. by my parenting him in the church, mm-hmm. um, decided very early when he had kids to let go from day one. Mm. And uh, they have let go. And he has three beautiful well-adjusted, smart, great kids. Um, my other two kids that have that Sally and her brother, Alex also have children and they are in various stages of letting go and how to let go. And should I let go of this, but not this. And a lot of times they'll ask me, you know, what do you think? Is this, you know, like screen time or, you know, what can they eat? sugar all day or do I need to limit that and take control (laughs) of that and and I watch all that and um just yesterday just yesterday Lena and Sally called me to have this big discussion about a retreat they're going to plan and at the end of it they were talking about um I said you guys need to get a babysitter you just need to just do it instead of trying to be full-time moms and intentional, always on the ball moms and, you know, be a coach and start this retreat and teach yoga on the beach and a million other things. I said, just get a dang babysitter. I'll pay if that's part of the reason. And they both said, oh, but the kids are with their dads part of the week. And when we have them, we, we just need them. You know, we want every minute with them during our days of the week that we get them. We don't want to do that. And we want them to feel that we love them. And, you know, we're involved in all this stuff. And I said, all right, I know I say I don't want to give you advice, but I'm going <laughs> to give you some advice. 
I said, if I could look at you, Sally, and your four brothers, when you were each five years old, from who you were as a five-year-old to who you are now as a 36-year-old is a direct line. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are, when you were five, you wanted to run and play and climb trees and move fast. And you didn't want to wear dresses and you wanted short hair and you, <laughs> you wanted to compete in every way you could. And look at you now, you are just a grown-up version of that. And then I went through and described her four brothers and how it's exactly the same with them and how it's a straight line to who they are. And I said, it wouldn't have mattered if I was a nurse, a part-time nurse, and I worked usually two days a week my whole life while I was raising kids. And I said, Sally, it wouldn't have mattered if I'd have said, no, I can't be a nurse. I need to give every minute of the day to the kids. Or if I'd have worked five days a week or seven days a week. I believe it still would have been a straight line from who you were at five to who you are when you're 36. So I said, let go of your grip that you need to spend every minute with your kids that they're available to you in order to think of yourself as a good mother, in order to not be fearful of how their childhood and how they are as adults is going to get blemished by you getting a babysitter two days a week. Mm. And they both just looked at each other and at the end, they talked a little bit about it. And at the end of the conversation, all they could say was, we'll think about it Mm -hmm. because it is so in them. Yeah. That belief Mm -hmm. that they need to be there is so in them. Yeah. Yeah. That was just yesterday. And when I look at it now, I just think, Holy cow, if you're stressed, get a babysitter. Put them in front of the TV. <laughs> it's not going to change their lives. Uh, yet, you know, I understand how it is to be a young mom and want to do yeah. your very best. Yeah. yeah. And you have that conditioning, not only from the church, but there's the patriarchy and yes. other parts of society yeah. that, that you feel this burden of being the best mom and on every time you get a chance to be on. So yes, exactly. I love that they have you there to guide in that way. Uh, and it wow. sounds like, gosh, like you are, you find ways even now, like after Sally's come out to, to connect deeply with her. I, I know that, um, on peace out podcast, whenever you did your interview with Sally mm-hmm. and Lena, um, one of the things that you said about, you know, Sally leaving the Mormon church was what am I, am I just supposed to have small talk with Sally for the rest of my life? right? This is how we deeply connected. And I'm curious, did that come up when she came out? Like another question of, am I just supposed to like, okay, that now this, um, a little bit, like I say, I had learned a lot by the time she came out, Yeah, but I knew nothing about the LGBT community at all. I mean, like everybody else in America, we have a friend or a coworker who's gay, but that's the extent of it. And um, so I didn't know how to talk to her about her new experience. Yeah. I didn't know Lena very well. And she's so different than Sally. She's the girly girl. I always thought I was going to have. So I didn't even know how to talk to that. Mm. Um, I, I had no advice 
like zero because I didn't have a clue. I had no advice on how to, like my instinct would be to help her help her kids, mm-hmm. help her kids get through this, come out the other side being well adjusted. But I didn't know how to do that either on this subject. Yeah. So I couldn't say this is what to do, or these are the books I've read because I've never read a book on that. And I didn't have friends who've been through it. So I had nobody to ask. Certainly we don't talk about that at church, what to do. So I was just mostly like, what can I do for you, Sally? Mm. She'd be like, uh, she did tell me in the beginning, let me to allow her to lead the way. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was really wise. That y- yes. <laughs> oh, I love because that. in our past relationship, just the the responsibility I felt, I don't feel like I was, you know, some overbearing mom who never allowed my kids a free thought, but I definitely had a plan and a picture in mind. Mm-hmm. And I led the way for our family. So she said to me on our very first phone call when she called me to come out to me. She said, I need to be the one to lead this. So please don't ask me any conversations while we're any questions while we're having this conversation. And then when we went to hang up, she said, please don't call me. I promise I'll call you back soon. And I was so wise because, Mm -hmm. you know, within 24 hours, I had a million questions. Oh, sure. And my natural instinct would have been to call her or write them down on a list and email it to her or whatever. But um, that was, that was generous of her Mm. to present it that way, because had she not said that, and I, had I sent her an email with my 50 questions or called her, I surely would have got most of them wrong. Mm. I surely would have you know, hurt her feelings in ways I didn't even realize, or some of them I did realize, and then you got to deal with all of that. Mm. So, so it was so generous of her to present it like that, so that there wasn't a lot for me to go back and say, I'm so sorry, I responded this way, or that mm. I asked you inappropriate questions. That mm. I love that that is how she handled that. Mm-hmm. I want to lead the way. I will call you. Don't call me. Right. I love you so much. Yes. I mean, she stepped into that in a very boundaried way, right. In a way that, and boundaries are so pro relationship, right. Boundaries are are what allow us to honor ourselves and be in relationship Mm. with those that we love. And she did that by saying that. And then by you honoring that, honoring what she asked and, oh, that that's just such a beautiful interaction there. Yes. I, I think there's a lot to learn from, from that. Yeah. yeah. I keep thinking throughout our conversation, I keep c- catching myself caught in thought around the piece of knowing how, you know, to have understanding and compassion perspective for the parent who is trying to love you in the best way they're aware of. Mm-hmm. And then the, the child who is, who is wanting support, um, mm-hmm. unconditional support, no matter no matter how you, <clears throat> no matter how you come, I've got your back, you know, and we want it right away. Like, yeah. you know, and I, I went through some 
I stepped in some puddles along the way in the way that I handled things. One, when I left the church and then two, when I came out and, uh, understanding my understanding in the culture of, you know, the LGBT community and the, the friends I was around was cut off relationship. Mm keep and there is a part of that that's centered in safety like sure. maybe for a time i need this space to wrap my head around things to gather people around me that are fully supportive yes. um, but then i kind of developed in this way that i felt more certain in who i was and i could manage those questions mm-hmm. or better um that i have very clear we have very clear um, boundaries Mm -hmm. and it's not to punish or to push away Mm -hmm. or to change. I will, my mom and dad will probably die a Mormon, a a devout Mormon, and I will honor them in their beliefs. Um, but we have a boundary, like we're never going to stay in their home unless we're accepted as a couple. She's not my buddy. And (laughs) we're more than happy to get a hotel room because Uh we want to be a part of, of Christmas Yes. Uh, but unfortunately, we're not going to come and engage with the family in the same way in a really painful, uh, which is a painful loss to us, unless you can treat us as an equal. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there's a balance there and it's over years or almost 10 years mm-hmm. yeah. now mm-hmm. we have been invited as a couple. Yeah. Um, and we can stay, we stay there now. We stay there as a couple. Mm-hmm. And then it was a oh, long that's awesome. process, you know, yeah. but I think it's been down a a long road yeah. and she's yes. made a lot of progress if you guys can stay there now. Oh that my goodness. Yes. So cool. My mom. Yeah. I, I have so much respect for her for how, like, I, I never would have thought she's where she would get where she's at. She comes and stays with us. Um, her and Ash are on the phone. I'll be a walk in. I'm like, are you talking to my mom? Like <laughs> sharing recipes and love um, her. <laughs> um, she's like, we're getting married this next year and she's so excited. And how can mm-hmm. I help? What do you guys need? Wow. From, from day one, when you and I, um, got together, she's been fully supportive, yeah. which I know is yeah. new for, it is for you different. in relationship with her. Yeah. My first marriage was, I, I, I rushed, I went so fast all in, I came out and got married. It was like, boom, <laughs> you know, and oh, that'd be hard. it was a brand new experience. My mom had never been exposed to you know, a queer individual or, um, our relationship was shifting and it was scaring her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that is such, uh, I just want to bring, I think awareness or start a conversation around that piece of knowing how to have relationship, um, mm-hmm. and, and keep yourself safe without totally isolating yourself mm-hmm. and cutting mm-hmm. off people that, that you love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Sally, you know, uh, six months or a year down the road after she came out, I told her how thankful I was for her generosity during that very first phone call. Mm. And she said, that wasn't all for you, mom. It was partly for me Mm. because I love you so much that if you had said something wrong, it would have hurt so deeply. And so I wanted to protect myself because I know you wouldn't mean to say anything wrong, but it would still hurt. Mm. So I did that in part for myself. 
And I think that that was good for me to hear. For one thing, it made me feel happy that she valued our relationship so much that she couldn't be, she couldn't bear to be hurt by me, you know? Mm -hmm. So when a gay person gets ready to come out, I think that that's a good thing to think through and, and to recognize that by holding space for your loved ones or your parents or whoever, you are also giving a gift to yourself that you're not going to um, create drama or create um, an, an instance, a situation where your parents, you know, your Mormon parents are going to just have to draw a line because, you know, like you say, you came out, you were young, mm-hmm. you came out, you got married right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then did your parents come to your wedding? My mom came to the site, but wasn't able, she didn't feel like she could attend the ceremony. So yeah. she was there in the, in the facility. Yeah. So in a way you, you know, you're moving so fast required her in her mind that she had to draw a line that mm-hmm. she had to say, uh, I, I can only go this far, but then after that, it's too much. You're asking too much. of me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our, we have friends who are our age. And when Sally, um, came out as gay, uh, only wasn't very many months later that Sally and Lena came to visit us in Northern California. And our friends were like, well, you're not going to let them stay at your house. Are you? And mm-hmm. we said, well, why in the world wouldn't we? And they said, well, then, then she's going to think you're condoning this mm-hmm. and that you think this is okay. And we were still all in the church. And I said to them, she knows what I believe. I raised that girl. She heard every day and every night for 18 years, what I believe. And then some, cause we still talk all the time. Mm. She knows full well what I believe. I don't need to draw any lines or make any declarations of I can only go this far and no farther because I believe in this and you're breaking the rules that I believe in. Um, My friends couldn't understand. And the same friends said, well, you're not going to go to a wedding, are you? And I said, yes, I am. And I have a new dress. (laughs) (laughs) And I look good. (laughs) so, So I feel like, um, I agree with you. Sometimes you got to draw some pretty strong boundaries to, for your own safety in the beginning. I'm Mm -hmm. sure that it's a fragile time for a person who comes out right when they come out, it's very fragile and you need more protection than usual. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I, I would just hope, and I think it's probably easier for families who have had good relationships all along Mm -hmm to get through that time of it being kind of tricky and everybody having to hold space for everybody. And like you said, stepping, stepping in puzzles and then your mom steps in a few and then your brother steps in one. It's, it's easier to get through all that. If you've had a great relationship all your whole life, and these are people you want to continue to have a relationship. If it has always been strained, Oh man, I can't imagine how this would just add to that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I had 
um, I, I wanted to have a relationship with my parents and my mom and I recently just talked and we're continually repairing. I would say within this last year has been the most progress the most repair. And we still have some room to move forward. Um, like my mom is asking, like, is it okay to say gay or is it okay to say queer? Because to her, that was derogatory. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not okay. Um, and, um, but I told her, I said, I think the biggest pain point um, was I was terrified. I had never come out before. I had never mm-hmm. been with a woman before. And I wanted you to, the like in your fear, do it with me. Cause I was afraid too. I wanted to know that you had my back um, instead of being an additional voice to yes. telling me what I'm like, doing I wrong. I just needed my mom. I just needed my mom. Yeah. Yeah. And she has, uh, endlessly apologized, um, and is active in trying to understand who I am and what it means to me. But I think as a gay child, if you can join your kid in some aspect and meet them, cause it's brand new to them, it's scary mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. They're going against everything they were, um, for me that I was taught. Um, and I was a peacekeeper. I was not rebellious. I would do anything to make sure everybody was happy. And so for me to leave and first leave the church, I was the first active member to leave the church, um, of 13, of 13. Um, and I, and that was at the same time that you came out as gay. No, I came out of the Mormon church when I was 17, 18, and then I came out fully at 30. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it was just such a wild experience and so scary. And I think what ended up happening was it ended up, um, speeding up my process with my previous wife, you know, because I didn't have that support and that love, I linked with the one person who was, you know, safe and loving. And we got married quick. We didn't care what anyone told us. Um, but I think if we would have had more time, if I would have had more time and more support, I wouldn't have married her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a really a big piece as a gay child. You know? I do too. And I think it's good to hear you say all of that. Mm-hmm. I think that exact point that what your mom was trying to prevent, she actually uh, sped up. Mm-hmm. right by her actions mm-hmm. um i think if parents could realize that that's a really good point that i'm going to talk about rod and i are the parent are the facilitators for a parent meeting once a week at the encircled house which is an lgbtq affirming place for kids mm-hmm. to come hang out and we had a meeting <laughs> last night there was a couple who were there who their kid just came out to them four days ago and they're wow they're just you know, swimming and all these questions. But that exact point is something I should share with them and with future parents in that group, because no matter how much you think you're doing something loving or what you've been taught in the church or what feels natural, um, you really need to be careful because you can speed up exactly mm-hmm. what you're afraid of. Yeah. It, it, it's further isolation exactly. for, for the person who's coming out and stepping into this because they're more than likely, especially if they've been raised in any sort of religious community, 
they are more than likely going to lose a lot of connection yes. in a very short period of time. Yep. And so by your own parent, it's just, it's further isolation. And, um, it's how I, many queer individuals wind up in their early first relation, queer relationships in very unhealthy relationships, because it's them against the world and they just want to be loved. They want to feel seen. And that's how we wind up in really unfortunate and sometimes abusive circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See things like that, because I haven't experienced that with Sally. It's mm. that is a new thought for me. Mm. And I thank you for sharing that because mm. that will sit with me. And I think that will help me and help the new friends that I have. Um, I haven't ever thought that through before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that fear, that clinging, the white knuckling actually creates more suffering yeah. for both people. Yeah. yeah. And I think um, that's probably true in every case of a child choosing something different than the parent. Now that I hear you say that, that's probably, we probably did that to my oldest son. When at 14, we said, you cannot go to that skate park. Those are not good influences on you. Then all he did is sneak out of his bedroom window to go, mm. you know, and we probably just pushed it further and faster and more mm-hmm. with in our attempt to bring him back. Yeah. And same kind of idea. We're all looking for that sense of belonging. Yeah. yeah. We, we talk about this dynamic in relationships within a primary, like, um, romantic relationship that there can be a parent child dynamic. And what happens is the person with the, with the power is the one that says no. And, you know, that, that played out just in the parent child with you guys, you know, you were to say, no, you can't do that. But he was really in control. He he was the one. And so, yeah, that can be scary. I didn't believe that, but yeah, right. right. (laughs) Nan, Nan, we're, we're wrapping up here. I know we're a little going a little over on time, but this is such a great conversation, but one of my final questions here, I'm curious, um, the Nan, right. The Nan, who you are now, what would you like to say to the Nan when Sally first came out? Um, and in addition to that, what would you like other parents to know who might be in this position where they're still in the church or they don't know what to do with all this information? What would you like to say? Yeah. And they want relationship with their And they child. want relationship. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I think it goes back to what we've talked about this whole time together today. Um, let go. Mm-hmm. And everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Everything. Eventually, it's all going to be okay, no matter what. I remember being panicked that my kindergartner wasn't, you know, adapting to school very well. And now I look at that and just say, if you'd have just let go mm-hmm. and, and told yourself, it's all going to be okay. You could have saved you and your child so much. Mm-hmm. And it is the same thing when they're teenagers or when they're adults or when I'm an adult, it's the same thing, whether it's leaving the church or coming out as gay let go and remember it's all going to be okay. Mm. I, there was a a recent um, 
general conference talk from our one of our church leaders. And he said, um, where, you know, if you leave the church, your life's going to fall apart. You are going to start, you know, participating in worldly activities and you will have no meaning in your life because you've left everything that's really meaningful and really matters. And you will have fear for your future and how will your kids be? And I remember watching him give that talk on TV and thinking to myself, I have four kids who are living proof that you are wrong. Mm. And it was one of the final tipping points for me Mm. in deciding to step away from the church because that's not what has happened. It's all okay. My four kids are happy. I'm happy. Rod is happy. Our phone calls and our Zoom meetings and our family vacations (laughs) and reunions are all good. You couldn't, it, it would have been really hard to convince me of that on the day my first kid left the church. But here I am, and I will shout it from the rooftops. It's all going to be okay. Mm. So that's what I would have told myself. Oh, Oh, Nan. I love that. I love you so much, Nan. (laughs) I love you guys are nice. At the end of the docu-series, the, you know, um, you, you shared with the world that you left the church, that you and Rod have completely stepped out and left the LDS Mormon church. Um, while you were talking, I wrote down on our notes, I'm always thinking about titles and things. Uh-huh. And I put Nana Osborne, a Mormon mom's coming out story. Oh, <laughs> oh that's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I had never said those words out loud to anybody before I said them on film. And after I said them, then I immediately, the, the film crew left to go to the wedding. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the weight. <laughs> Did I should, uh, I think I just made a mistake. So yeah, it really was like my coming out story right there on film for everybody, which yeah. is wow. not necessarily what I recommend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And from my understanding that you went through a similar process where your, your relationships are adjusting and um, for you in yes. different ways. So yes, yes. Yeah. And now Sally's my teacher. Now mm. Sally Ugh. says, mom, here's how it's going to feel when you leave the church and you're going to have first, you're going to feel like you've lost your anchor and anything to hold on on it. <laughs> she said, then your friends, some will stick with you. Some won't. She said, let it be a natural sifting. Mm. Let them sift out themselves. She said, Ugh. I wasted so much time and energy trying to keep all my friends. Come on, I'm still yeah. the same person. I'm still a soccer mom, just come be my friend. And she said, I would, I would advise you mom to just let them sift themselves out and who wants to stay stays and who doesn't want to, wow. it's okay. Let them go. So now the tables are turned. And now it's great to have her as my teacher and I welcome all her opinions. Oh my gosh, that is gold. That's so beautiful. I'm have to tell her uh, next time I talk to her. Sal. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, Nan, to finish out our interviews, we really like to end with um, I don't know if you know who Esther Perel is. Oh yes. Um <laughs> we are she is our the one to model after for us. Um she has this game. Oops, she has this game called Where Should We Begin? A Game of Stories by Esther Perel. 
Okay. And it's just, it's just, um, these cards that she has that, um, create, um, conversation. conversation and story to, to get to know someone in a more intimate way at a dinner table, at a wedding at, you know, yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's yeah. storytelling yeah, so, to, to create connection. Um, uh, there are a number of, um, sex questions in here. So I'm trying to pick through them. <laughs> um, <laughs> we don't want to give you a sex question, Nana. <laughs> <laughs> or do we? <laughs> yeah. Rod's not home. Ask <laughs> Challenge it. Green light. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I, I have so many, I want to ask you. Okay. Um, <laughs> only one. Yeah. <laughs> um, zoom call later and play a whole game. Right. Oh, oh that would be so That's what fun. Sal and Lena told us when we interviewed them, let's do this on a yes. weekly basis. Uh, You're invited, Nan. Okay. <laughs> oh, the five of us. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm the most attracted to myself when I find myself the most attractive when that is so easy. I have <laughs> said it out loud. When I accomplish something physically challenging with my body. Oh. <sighs> yes. When I, when I ride my bike and I finally make it to the top of that really steep mountain without having to get off and walk part of the way, man, I am like, yeah, look at me. I, it doesn't matter that I don't look like a model. I am strong. I am, mm. I am fierce. Yeah. That is for sure. The answer for me. Oh my God. Oh, I love that. You're speaking our language. I relate so much to that. <laughs> Good. Good. Oh that. man. That is so beautiful. Yeah. Ash, Ash and I are all about movement and caring for our body. Cause we know that when we show up for ourselves, we are able to connect better. Yes. Um, I think Ash is actually losing some toenails because she's running so much lately. <laughs> Yeah, I got one that's kind of barely hanging on. Yeah, <laughs> been there already. So I'm like, eh. yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Nan, um, if you want people to contact you to be able to mm -hmm. find you, where could they find you? Um, I'm on both Facebook and Instagram. My okay. name is just plain Nan Osborne on there. Okay. And if they would like to email me, I'm okay with that too. And my email is just nanosborn at gmail.com. Okay. Awesome, Nan. And we'll, all fine. what was that? That's all. Any of those would be good for me. Awesome. We will, we'll be sure to add those to the show notes as well. That way people can, can okay. find you. Yeah. Is it Nan, N-A-A-N or N-A-N? No, my real name is Nanette. Oh, Nanette. And, I didn't know um, that. As a young teenager, I decided that wasn't what represented me. And so I said, my name's going to be Nan from here on out. Uh, wow. So what is it? N-A-N. N-A-N. N -A -N. N -A -N. Okay. Gotcha. I feel the same way. Gotcha. I, I got Ashley whenever I was born and I'm like, Ash just fits better. I don't know. <laughs> I get it. How nice we can do that. Well, I want to leave us with a quote, um, from bell hooks and her book all about love. I feel like it's fitting for our conversation here. And she says, everywhere we learn that love is important, and yet we are bombarded by its failure. In the realm of the political, among the religious, in our families, and in our romantic lives, we see little indication that love informs decisions, strengthens our understanding of community, or keeps us together. 
This bleak picture, and though it alters the nature of our longing, we still hope that love will prevail. We still believe in love's promise. And that's beautiful. After this conversation, I just, my belief in love's promise is just expanded that much more. <laughs> I'm so glad. Thank you, Nan. Yeah. It was truly, truly a pleasure. Yeah. We'll have hey. you on again. Okay. <laughs> I just did um, a podcast with Sally yesterday that's going to be out really soon. Um, mm. And it's all about my faith transition oh. um, from beginning to end. Wow. So if anybody out there is interested in that, they can check out Peace Out podcast within the next day or two. Absolutely. We, yeah. will, we will be tuning in for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, guys, take care of each other. And until next time. We're so glad that you joined us for today's conversation. If you and your partner want to apply to be a guest on the show for one of our mini couple sessions, or if a part of you connected with today's episode and you would like more info on how to work with us directly, you can find us on Instagram at Donna Noble. That's at D-A-W-N-A-N-O-B-L-E and at Ash France Coaching. And that's France, just like the country. Queer Couples Coaching is produced by Media Machine. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and help us reach and support more queer relationships. We'll see you next time on Queer Couples Conversations. And in the meantime, take care of each other.